Before we uh, begin our lesson, let's begin with prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you so much for this day. Thank you for loving us and giving us the chance to worship you, to lift you up and exalt you. I pray that you will be with us as we study, as we think about your word. Help us to uh, live it out and consider how to be your children. Watch over your church here um, and worldwide. Be with all of us as we are seeking opportunities to serve you and bring glory to you. We love you so much, and we praise to you in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. What we're going to be talking about this morning is the idea of capsized. And if you have your Bibles, stay open to Titus. We're going to be coming back to that passage in just a moment. I love watching movies or TV or reading books about survival. I'm reading a book right now with a very complicated plot line, a book called Hatchet. It's about a kid that gets stranded in the wilderness with his hatchet. It's very complicated. And most of those TV shows or things along those lines about survival, it's what will you do when all, you know, when all of the wilderness, everything is against you and it's just you. How do you handle the situation? I love watching things like that. But the ones that really get to me, are the ones that are out at sea. I'm intimidated by big water. I've never been out on the ocean where I can't see land. Uh, even if I'm at the lake and I'm, open, I'm at the open water, the amount of water, the vastness of it intimidates me. When I watch movies where they are stranded at sea for a number of days or they're in a boat and they're facing some large storm, I get intimidated. And it doesn't matter what the movie is necessarily. When I start watching one where they're surviving at sea, maybe it's a storm or maybe the aftermath of a shipwreck, my heart starts pumping. I, I don't know what it is. And I even know some of them that are fictional, that are based off of true stories, and they even take liberties beyond that. I, I get all of that. But it intimidates me. I don't know if it's the combination of the, the situation that's going on, uh, the scenario that's happening, maybe the music itself, whatever that is that... Uh, it makes me start worrying for them and thinking about what would I do if I was in one of these situations? If I were watching a massive wave coming to me, it looks like a mountain. When I see them going through the same thing, and I just know, all right, this is going to be bad. It's not going to end well for them. I don't know how they're ever going to survive this, but I know what the movie's about and I can go to the end of it. But just all of these things culminating together in one experience, it concerns me. Now, maybe when you think about a boat at sea, maybe a picture along these lines, this is completely a piece of fiction, but you think about a huge wave that big with a boat coming into it, it's going to get capsized. There's no way that you can overcome a wave like this. And like I said, you know, this is just fake. It's from a, a movie. But this one's not. This is actually a clip from, uh, I, yes, I went to YouTube and I typed in boats being capsized. And if you want to waste a few minutes or hours of your day, depending on how far down that trail you go, you can watch boats just getting smashed by waves. This is one of them. Uh, it's this boat coming in, this huge wave comes, and it just knocks it over. Whatever the situation was behind this, it got capsized. Or maybe you think about a large boat like this, um, and you can see, you know, whether from the side or it's like you're actually on the boat, you can see these huge waves coming and, and how these ships are able to handle them. We know that people do this. They do it for a living. They face uh, all these storms while they're in a boat, and I can watch it. It doesn't matter if it's fiction. doesn't matter if it's real, and it's intimidating to me to see these kind of situations. 
I don't know if it gets your heart pumping. I don't know if this would intimidate you, but the feeling that you may have of facing something like this, I want to hold on to just a little bit as we go through this lesson together. And I want to draw some conclusions and, and some observations about our lives and things that we may face. You see, ships are meant to be on the water. Although it's not required of a ship to be at sea during a storm, it's kind of part of the whole experience. If you're a ship at sea, you have been ready to face the waves and you've prepped for it and you know that when they come, you know how to handle them. Ideally, if you are in a boat and you're going to be facing a large wave, you, you go into it because if you turn sideways, you don't handle it correctly, it's going to wash you over and it's going to dump you out. You can get capsized very quickly. When you think about this theme, can you start thinking of some uh, verses in the Bible or stories in the Bible about a boat at sea? The first one that comes to my mind is with Noah and the ark. Imagine being on this boat, being shut in where you can't really see anything. We know that he had a window in there up above. But you're in this boat, and the torrents of water are coming from underneath the ground, and, and there are torrential uh, downpour that's coming from above. It's not one of those you know, simple just rising like you're in a, a levee and you're coming up slowly. The boat would have been knocked all over the place, and, and not, you know, knowing the uncertainty of this and raining for the number of days that it goes through and just the, the structure of the boat itself and how it was able to, to survive and those few people and all those animals were able to face something like this. Maybe that story comes to your mind. Maybe think about Jonah being overthrown, uh, thrown overboard in a boat. It's really because of things that he did in the, the storm calming. Maybe you think about Jesus asleep in a boat during a storm. Maybe you think about Jesus come walking on one of those waves. And have you ever thought what that would look like when Jesus was coming through one of those storms? I don't know if he's like coming over the waves and riding them down, you know, just as he walks, that it kind of takes a step along with him. Or he's just, they're just splitting as he walks through. But do you think about Jesus coming walking in the middle of a storm? I think one of the cooler scenarios comes from the book of Acts with Paul. When he's in the middle of a journey and there's what's called a Northeaster that comes. And this is a really good chapter, and I give a, a nod to Jeremy and a, a lesson that he did on December 8th, 2019, just so you have that timestamp if you want to go back and watch it. And an excellent job working through that story of Paul being in a boat and being shipwrecked and all the things that led to that. And it is extremely accurate. And I think one of the first points that he makes in that lesson is that uh, during this time, this information about a boat that Luke would have been on with Paul as they're going through a situation like this, how accurate it is, um, how they handled the boat as it was falling apart, maybe because of all those winds, all of those things. Maybe you think about these kind of stories when you think about capsize, you think about uh, a boat being overturned or facing some kind of storm. And we could spend all of our time talking about those, but that's not what I want to focus on this morning. In fact, I want to think about Titus chapter 3. And it may seem like a strange passage, and it's the one that we just read, and we're going to be returning back to in just a moment and drawing some, uh, some conclusions from there. But when I think about the Christian life and what we are to face with our decisions and even our past, it's very similar to being in a boat in the middle of the ocean or in the middle of the sea as waves and a storm is coming, and we're looking to go somewhere else, and we're looking to go to a new place. Whatever your feeling is or whatever picture comes to your mind when you think about a boat at sea and being capsized, hold on to that. Hold on to that feeling in your mind as we go through this lesson. Because those feelings and those observations that we make about our lives and about things around us 
Maybe you feel like you're a boat at sea with waves tossing around you. So let's make some points. I'm going to make three observations about a ship at sea. The first one I want us to think about is what I call the vicious cycle. When I think about the feeling of being caught in a storm, I think about the constant churning of the waves, just one after the other hitting. The vicious cycle of waves and the threat of a boat being capsized, if they don't handle it correctly, is very familiar to us in a human experience. If you haven't been on a boat in a situation like that, that's fine. But maybe we can think about just us living life. Maybe in a grand scale, just think about what a vicious cycle may look like. People get caught up in these kind of things all the time. Here's what I mean. You think about a drug addiction. Usually it starts this way. It might be someone coming into a vicious cycle because of a gateway drug or some substance that opens the door for other substances and other things in their life, leading potentially to harder drugs. When people start with something seemingly like vaping or something similar, they start looking for something more. It opens up and it starts creating this vicious cycle. Even someone who is trying to keep clean can get caught up in a vicious cycle that pulls them further and further down again. I randomly talked to a gentleman that he had talked about being clean for 30 years. And, you know, it's honorable to think about that process. But and he was sharing this and he was working through it. And he said, you know, and I know that that is still out there. I know that temptation is still there, but I'm going to stay away from it as much as I possibly can. Because just a little bit can start a vicious cycle. You see, this happens with drugs. It happens with alcohol. It even happens with sex. All these things can create a vicious cycle, pulling people down. Maybe you think about a whirlpool that's pulling people further and further in. Maybe on a small scale. You know, we talk about these bigger ones, but what about on a smaller scale? We face these on a regular time in our lives. Or what we may, see, what we may think is a small impact in our life. I catch myself in smaller cycles all the time. Now, one of them that is not a, a simple one, but one that we can relate to and we'll go beyond that, I think about the infamous break in a diet. When I break my diet, if I had one, I would allow just a little bit of chocolate or just a little bit of snacking, and that's going to start a vicious cycle of me going further and further away. It's kind of the opposite for me. I cheat on my non-diet by going on a diet periodically. But when I'm on a diet... I can open a bag of chips, and that's the first thing, just knowing that that bag of Doritos is waiting for me. And before I know it, I'm in a bad cycle of eating, and it's not going to go well, and I just keep going further and further down because, you know, a bag of Doritos, what's the difference between two hamburgers? You know, might as well. And that's not a, a sinful thing necessarily. Um, there's a vicious cycle of just how that one may play out in our life, but let's go a little bit deeper into things that really matter on a spiritual scale. Can you think about a vicious cycle in your attitude? Here's what comes to my mind and what I've experienced. Do you ever catch yourself in a vicious cycle with your family? I can see the cycle coming. And that's one of the things about this. Before you get in it, you can see where this is going to lead further and further down. Sometimes I notice it with my kids. Maybe the kids do one thing that gets me upset, just a little flustered. Then they do another and another and another. And before we know it, I'm at a level four whatever that means, but I'm at a level four and I just feel like I've got these categories in my mind, but I'm at a level four, I'm at my end, I'm just angry, I'm upset, I've said the phrase, I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, and you know, and you can just see yourself going down further and further and, and everything escalating, and by the end of the whole experience, you're upset, you're distraught, 
you're irritable, the kids are upset, they're distraught, they're irritable, and you're just like, all right, if we could just step away, let's just restart this whole day, let's restart this whole moment. We become a force to be reckoned with in a moment like that, and when these things start, all that we need to be looking for is an end point to them. I catch myself in that all the time. It's just the little things that start stacking up, and before you know it, everybody's upset. The vicious cycle can also be played out, though. We make decisions to give up parts of things in our life that maybe are spiritually dangerous. We can start going down a vicious cycle when it comes to things like maybe wanting to give up aspects of social media that's destructive to our spiritual life. Maybe it's bad language or joking, unhealthy entertainment, or maybe a whole list of other things. When you make the decision to give those things up for spiritual reasons, but then you allow just a little bit back in, you go down a vicious cycle. You know, so I, you know, I'm not going uh, to have social media anymore. I'm just going to you know, delete all my apps and I'm not going to worry about it. And then you, del- you just bring it back one time. I just need to look at one update. And then before you know it, you've wasted hours of your day. But maybe it's taken you further and it's changed your attitude about even how you see one another and, and things along those lines. I find as I start going down vicious cycles of things in my life, and you can probably relate to this as well, it leads to us wasting time, energy, and spiritual focus on things that are just not worth it. When we get caught in vicious cycles, we run the risk of capsizing very quickly. You see, a boat is meant to be at sea. And as it's out there, inevitably, it is going to face storms. It's going to face waves. But how you traverse them, how you uh, navigate them, says a lot. And if we're not prepared, when one of those waves of this beginning of a vicious cycle starts coming our way, we can get overturned very quickly, can't we? And you can relate to that, I know, in so many different ways because I can. Maybe you feel right now you are in some kind of vicious cycle. we got to think of a way to get out of it, and I think there is. That's the first thing I want to bring to our minds. The next one is what I call the safe harbor. Harbors are meant to be safe. If you're in a harbor, you won't run the risk of facing the swells. On the other hand, if you're out at sea in a storm, you probably want to be back to the harbor as quickly as possible. When you think about movies where boats are out at the sea during a storm, they're usually out there for some kind of purpose, correct? They're going on some kind of mission and they have to do this. Maybe they have a job. Maybe they're trying to save a life. But they have to leave the safety of the harbor and face something that is out there and there is no other option for them. Those people that start compromising, though, on what their purpose and their mission is, they turn back to the safe harbor too quickly. See, there's a a bit of deception about the safety of a harbor, though. Only a few harbors provide complete protection against a massive storm like a hurricane. Having to be in a boat during a hurricane is disastrous. But if you were going to find safe harbor, you would try and find what's considered a, a hurricane hole where there is protection all around if you're on a boat so that you don't get thrown off. You see, we like safety. We don't want to face danger. Even thrill seekers don't want to be put in true danger. They want to execute their task the best that they can. No sailor says, you know, when I put at sea, I hope that I have to abandon ship. Or I hope I have to choose life or over death or something else. No, you want to be prepared. We want to accomplish the task that we are doing. And we have to leave the safety of the harbor in order to do that. And leaving the safety of the harbor puts us in danger. There's also something else about the deceptiveness of a harbor. Have you ever been in a boat tied to a dock when waves started coming? 
Maybe you're in a, that boat and another big boat comes by and what happens to that boat that's tied to the dock? Starts hitting it. You run the risk of messing up your boat and so how is it, what's better to be on the water and handle the waves or to be tied to the dock being smashed against it? You see, Christianity tells us to set sail. We can't stay in the false safety of the harbor. We have to be out at sea. God has called us on a purpose to go do something, to do more. And we need to be prepared to do it. And we know that while we're out at sea, we will face storms at some point. But can we prepare for them when we see them coming? If we have to confront those big waves, are we going to be prepared to, to navigate them or are we going to get capsized? I think when we set sail as Christians, we have to face our decisions and things of the past. And those things need confronting. And if we don't know how to handle them, we can easily get off course. There are places, there are people, there are things that need to change and completely threaten our spiritual well-being while at sea. We have to be able to repent and grow from these things. Whatever we've said, whatever we've done, whatever we've posted, shared, saw, experienced, desired, anything that's against God's law, we need to know that we may have had a past, but we prepare for the future with God. This is part of facing the waters away from the false security of the harbor. The world wants us to play safe in the harbor, but we're called out to something different. The next thing is the boat at the sea. When we make a decision to leave the harbor, we're in some way acknowledging a fact. Boats are meant to handle the sea. Some boats really aren't meant to handle the sea. Movies depict this all the time when a boat is pulled out to the ocean that doesn't belong there. It's usually the bigger the boat, the, uh, the better it's able to handle the storm. A pool float or even a life raft is not going to be able to handle a storm effectively. You see, ships that are meant to handle the crashing troughs of disastrous waves are made of thick steel, but even that steel can break if it's hit too hard too many times. Most boats that are prepared to handle a true storm will suffer damage, will not hinder, uh, excuse me, most boats that are prepared to handle a storm will not suffer damage to the boat, the crew, or the morale. The boats that get capsized usually face a storm they did not prepare for. Maybe they get caught in a vicious cycle or maybe they just make an error and it runs the risk of toppling everything. But in Christianity, God saved us, purified us, forgave us so that we may not suffer loss. So as you hold those three things in your mind, as we're building this picture, this illustration of what is it like to run the risk of being capsized, to be out at sea, with waves coming our way, things that we need to be able to handle, I come back to Titus. And I know it may seem like a strange passage for us to consider, and really in your personal study, I would want you to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, but we're going to focus on just the few verses we read earlier, and allow me to read them again for us. This is what Paul is saying to Titus, and he's speaking to the church that's going to be shared. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, 
but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a beautiful passage to think about. And here's the way I want to frame it in our illustration and what we're trying to, to accomplish in this moment. When we deal with the things of the past, as Paul's looking at this, and there's a few other uh, scenarios in the, uh, in the New Testament where Paul talks about where we've come from. Maybe think about 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and he says, such were some of you, as he's writing to the Corinthian church, and he talks about all the vileness and all the sin that they had. He said, such were some of you, but then where does he go? He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were set apart, you were forgiven in Christ Jesus. He does the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, we once walked in the futility of our minds, calloused over, but now that Christ has come and that He has saved us, we can face the storms. But as you look through this, we ourselves were. It brings baggage. It brings things that you may have to face. And each one of these runs the potential of causing another vicious cycle if we are not prepared to address them as they come. The safety comes in verse 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. He called us away from the false safety of the harbor of the world and, and how it wants us to hide, and has called us out to face things on the water. And it's all through Jesus. It's not our working. It's not anything that we get to brag about. It's what He has done. And as we are called out on the water, we have to realize that there is the hope of eternal life waiting for us if we will just go where He has prepared so if we were to take those three things that we dealt with and plug them into this passage, I want to rework them just a little bit and dig in one more time in each one to think about them on a greater scale. Here's the first thing when we think about the vicious cycle. Forgiveness breaks the cycle. I want to drive home that word forgiveness. I wrestle with the concept of forgiveness. I don't know if you do as well. I can give you the Webster's Dictionary definition of forgiveness very easily. I can give you the theological teaching behind forgiveness, and I can take you to all the passages about it. But when I wrestle with forgiveness, and when you wrestle with it, and we do collectively, we wrestle with it in our hearts. As we've been studying on Sunday morning about preparing our hearts and soul and our mind, that's where the battle is fought. We dealt this morning, right, with these purification laws. It's not what goes into the body that defiles a person, but what defiles a person, what comes out of the heart. The heart is an important place to make sure these things make sense. Head knowledge, we can give you the definition. Head knowledge, we can give you the verse reference. But the heart says, I believe it. Forgiveness will break the cycle. I understand that we may have to wrestle with physiological or psychological baggage but I strongly believe that it's the forgiveness that God gives that can stop the vicious cycle. So here's some questions to prep us as a church, prep us as individuals, to see if forgiveness really has a, a place in our heart. Do we believe an alcoholic can change? A drug user? An adulterer? A liar? A porn addict? A thief? A homosexual? A coward? Someone that struggles with greed, anger, jealousy, divisiveness, or even pride. You see, our view and our belief in forgiveness will tell us if we can answer those questions or not. 
Look at what Paul says one more time in Titus chapter 3. Where does Paul come from, including other people around him? He says, we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasure, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. What kind of life is that? They were in a vicious cycle. But what broke the cycle? Forgiveness. You know, I think it's a telling part when you look at his description. The very last line, hated by others and hating one another. What a negative life to live, being hated by others and equally hating one another. That shows me how far down the cycle someone can go when you're at rock bottom. You hate yourself, you hate other people, and there is no happiness, there is no joy. But what can bring us up out of the pit? When we allow forgiveness to touch our hearts, we have the ability to forgive others. But we also have this ability to forgive ourselves. Do you ever feel the nagging, reoccurring guilt or shame of something that's done in the past? I'm not talking about a current situation that needs addressing, and and that will be handled as well. But I'm talking about the guilt or the shame of a past act. Maybe some scenarios that come to your mind. I cannot talk to that person. I said some harsh things to them. I know I asked for forgiveness, but what if they still hate me? What if they don't like me? Do they talk behind my back? Has forgiveness found a place in our heart? Maybe somebody says, I can't go back to church or get involved because people know what I did. I was an alcoholic. I struggled with drugs. I was an adulterer and now I'm divorced. I slept around with people. I got caught lying. I admitted to watching porn. I lost my tongue. I posted something I shouldn't have. I did fill in the blank. If those things stop us from coming together as the body of Christ, as forgiveness found its place in our heart. Here's the thing. If forgiveness does have a place in our heart, we can let things go. And I understand this sad reality that there are some people that keep holding on to things and they even hold it over our heads. But Jesus doesn't do that. If you're struggling and and you're trying to get beyond something and the the vicious cycle has been broken, you can find love and mercy in the church. You see, people that can't let things go haven't broken the cycle themselves. Are there consequences to our actions? Yes. Maybe you lost a friend, a job, your family. Maybe there's some things that have changed in your uh, future plans. Maybe there's some physical or mental issues that have happened because of something that, uh, some kind of substance that was in your life. It's a sad reality that sin has physical consequences to it. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the spiritual things beyond them that we can be forgiven and we can go further. So, how is the vicious cycle broken? Only by forgiveness. Here's the next point that I think Paul highlights for us in Titus chapter 3. Guilt, shame, and fear will stop us from leaving the harbor. As I said, we call the harbor a false place of safety. We're called beyond that out into a life that is completely with God. Guilt, shame, and fear have the ability to tie us to the dock. And they resurface in our lives in different ways. I think if you look at the definitions, they're very interesting. Guilty. A feeling of responsibility or remorse for some offense, crime, wrong, etc., whether real or imagined. Maybe we feel guilty because we did something we should not have done. Maybe we feel guilty because we've done something that others don't know, but it violates our conscience. 
Maybe we feel guilty because we didn't do something we should have done. All of these things have the ability to generate guilt in our life, and that will tie us to the dock and prohibit us from going further in a relationship with God. Maybe think about shame. The definition is the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, ridiculous, or even something that is against us or against someone else. Shame can look a lot like guilt, can it? But it's different. Shame makes someone feel dirty, broken, or gross. Shame comes after the feeling of guilt. It's the second layer in the internal battle in our minds and our hearts. Or maybe you think about fear. It's an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. When we fear something, we avoid it at all costs. It intimidates us. If we fear the boat, the storm, the waves, or the journey, we will remain shackled to the dock. Look at what Paul says. He said, we leave these things behind because the goodness and kindness of God has come into our lives that we can have those things forgiven and washed away, and now we can dwell in a good relationship with God. No guilt, no shame, no fear. We're called to be out on the water. But guilt and shame and fear will stop us from doing it. But if forgiveness breaks the cycle, we can go further with our relationship to God. See, the Christian life tells us to, to leave the false safety of the harbor, thinking that everything is okay here, but when we have to go out there with Christianity, we have to face the things that are in our life. But we have an advocate. We have Christ on our side. And the last thing that I want to draw from is let God build the boat. You know, if you were going to put me in charge of building some kind of boat to face a wave, I can go out and I can wrestle together some things that might float. I can wrap some rope around them, Make a sail, don't know what it does, but I'll put that on there. And hopefully I'll be able to handle whatever I face. But eventually a boat like that will sink. See, God has the ability to build a boat that is able to handle the storms, the vicious cycles of life, and anything that we may face if we're just willing to get on it. Feel free to insert at this point any of those scenarios that we talked about earlier about being on a boat with Jesus. Or Jesus walking through a storm. That's where the hope comes in. You see, sometimes we try and build our own boats. Or maybe there's some doctrinal systems out in our world that they try and build a boat that just can't handle the waves. But what I find in Titus 3, verses 1 through 11, is the picture of a boat that God builds. And we have to ask this question. If we know that Jesus can provide this, what will we do with Jesus? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 tells us that we're not going to face any temptation that we cannot overcome. But have you ever read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8? Paul, as he's writing about his experience, he says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. What are you telling me, Paul? You're telling me that you're struggling and that, that uh, everything just seems like it's coming crashing down in your life? But look what he says in verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivers us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. What a beautiful picture to think about, but it's beautiful as you're being hit by the waves and you're being overcome with facing decisions in life that it's not on us. 
What Paul says in Titus chapter 3, it's not our work that we are saved, it is what Jesus did. Because the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in a field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown into something larger, then it is uh, larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. That's the kind of boat that I want to have built around me. So as we think about this idea of being capsized, can you look and see some things in your life that is a challenge to you? Do you feel like the waves are crashing in on you? Do you feel like you're facing things and you're not prepared for them? What can Christianity offer to you? As Paul is writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 18-20, he's talking about an individual, and listen to what he says to him. It says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that uh, by them you may wage the good warfare. Would, you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Take note of this. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymnaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to be blasphemous. Did you catch what he said? Some people have made a shipwreck of their faith. Some people have been capsized. The waves are too big. They didn't know how to break the cycle. They didn't know where to turn. Their boat maybe was not made by God. See, our goal should be to leave the false security of the harbor and focus on the waves of life that threaten to capsize us. Let's not allow guilt, shame, or fear to get you sideways when the waves of the sea come past we get caught up in vicious cycles. We have Christ, our Savior, and forgiveness. We have the church. We have accountability. Have you left the harbor today? Are you caught in a vicious cycle? Are you on the wrong kind of boat? Can we pray with you? Is it time to be in Jesus? Is it time to give up all the things of the world, to die to self, be buried with Christ in baptism, be united with Him in a death like His so you can rise to walk in the newness of life? What will you do with Jesus? What do you do with the waves that are crashing around you? How does your life look as we stand and as we sing?